0: Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. This week, we're going to be doing our fourth video in this series about engaging culture. And today, we're going to talk about homosexuality, which really is the test of our generation. Homosexuality really has become the de facto dividing line in our generation. Okay, and what I mean by that is that depending on how you answer this question, um, it will determine whether you are in the kingdom or not. I think that's how important this issue is. Um, For many churches, many ministries, um, this has moved them outside of the realm of orthodoxy, in my opinion. Okay, that's... um, It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Um, It is... For many people, not Christians, um, but for many people who think about God, who think about becoming Christian, this is maybe the the greatest area of offense that people have towards God and the Bible. It's the reason why many people have stopped being Christian, because of this particular issue, okay? Um, As I mentioned, it is the clearest differentiator between churches that have compromised and those who have not, and I just think today it is um, something that everyone has to take a position on. This is not something that you can really be agnostic on, right? You can't just go, well, I don't know, and I don't want to worry about that. If you're going to be a Christian today, um, you got to, you have to have a position on this because you're going to be forced into a position um, living in this world, right? It's going to it's gonna thrust itself upon you, whether it has happened or not. You're going to have people come and ask you or, challenge you on what you believe on this, right, um, especially if you think it's sinful, right? If you think it's sinful, that is going to come out um, in our culture today. All right, so what we, the one of the issues that I think that lots of Christians become really confused about is that they don't understand um, the difference between behavior and identity, okay, on this issue, and that's because um, historically speaking, Christians have argued that homosexuality is a behavior, Okay, specifically, that it's a sinful behavior. All right. But the difference today is that in our culture, it is seen not as a behavior, but as an identity. Okay? And a lot of this is because of the influence of Marxism in our culture today. Marxism is all about, it's, it's a worldview that puts people into different tribes or groups. Right? So the question is, are you part of this tribe or are you not part of this tribe? And because Marxism has become so influential in our culture um, and the gay issue has become so intertwined with it, the question is not, is homosexual practice sinful? The question is, is homosexual identity wrong? Right? because a lot of you know a lot of christians get confused on this because we say hey it's just a it's just a sinful practice and we believe that many things are sinful practices that other people do not believe right like so for example we believe that sleeping with somebody before marriage is sinful right and this is a very unpopular position today all right most people in our culture believe that there's nothing wrong with sleeping with somebody before or outside of marriage okay so this is a clear area where Christians disagree with non-Christians, but we don't face anywhere near the same level of persecution. And the reason is because, you know, we call the sin fornication. Being a fornicator is not a Marxist identity group, right? It's not recognized as an identity group, right? If you're a fornicator you know, you don't get your own safe space (laughs) and, you know, you don't get entrance into colleges based on the fact that you're a fornicator. You know, there's not an entire group identity built around this behavior. But homosexuality is different in that it is recognized as a persecuted, oppressed people group. And because of that, it has its own identity in the Marxist worldview, which has really become, you know, part of the American worldview, not just American, but, you know, the Western culture worldview now okay um, and that's what makes this so difficult and so um, confusing for many people all right so if we're going to have an accurate understanding of this we have to answer some of these questions okay is homosexuality innate meaning is this something that you're born with or not because that has a that's a big differentiator right if you're born with it it's part of your DNA okay then it's more like race, okay? Then the Marxists, maybe they're right, right? Maybe this is something that, you know, is part of your identity group in that sense, just like race is, all right? Um, But if it's not, then it's probably not like race, okay? Is it immutable, meaning can it change or not? Is somebody, you know, born homosexual and then their sexuality can never change, right? Or do we see sexuality changing in people, Okay. Again, if you're born with it and you can't change it, it's totally immutable, then yeah, maybe this is an identity, but maybe it's not. Okay. And then is it sinful? Is it morally wrong or not? These are the big questions that every Christian has to have clarity on. You have to have clarity on these things because if you don't, then what's gonna happen is you're going to buy in to the Marxist paradigm of this, which is that this is an innate, immutable. characteristic of a person just like race right and that's really the narrative the narrative is that homosexuality is just like race and that people are born with it they can't change it that's part of who they are and that's their identity and so they should be proud of that identity does that make sense that is the the gay pride narrative and that's this whole impetus now to not just say hey this is something i feel but this is who I am, and I'm proud of it, and to come out of the closet and all of that. I'm going to make the argument that none of that is true, okay? I'm going to make the argument that homosexuality is not innate, okay? It's not innate. This this should be obvious, by the way, okay? People are not born with sexual desire, all right? Babies do not feel sexual desire, but what you're going to hear more and more from people on the left, right, is that they want to encourage sexuality in children, And, you know, and there's this idea that, yes, you're gay from birth. That's not true. There's never been any evidence to suggest that um, there's a gay gene or something like that. There's no evidence, okay? Now, could we one day find that? Yeah, perhaps, maybe. But the point is we haven't found it yet. So the evidence is on the side of those who believe that it is not innate. And by the way, we can see this in twins, right? So you can have... Twins that have the same DNA, and one can be gay and one can be not, right? Which seems to suggest that there's not some kind of gay gene or something like that, all right? That it's not part of our DNA, it's not part of our genes, that this is something that develops later on, okay? And that's important because, you know, it, let's liken it to something like um, there, there's a phenomenon where if you have an alcoholic father, right, that there is. Um, a much higher chance that you become an alcoholic, for example, all right, and um, I think that's much more similar to what we're dealing with, meaning that certain abusive behaviors produce a kind of perversion where the natural desires twisted, okay, and to be clear, all of us have this in different ways, okay, we all have sinful desires, which are twisted natural desires, and that, that oftentimes, um, happen to us as we as we cope through traumatic or painful experiences that we've had in our lives like i said this is true for every every single person on the planet all right this is my position and i believe this is more of an orthodox christian position okay um the second is is this immutable i'm going to argue that no it's not immutable meaning we see that sexuality does change all right that it's sexuality is fluid all right Now, some people are gonna make the argument, oh, you're one of those people that thinks you just just choose to be gay, and you should just choose not to be gay, and it's just as easy as that, and I'm not saying that at all, all right? In the same way that somebody who's dealing with an addiction, they can't just choose to not have the addiction. It's not a simple issue of choice, all right? It's not you can simply choose to fix it. There's lots of feelings and desires that people have that they don't want to have and if if it was just as easy as just choosing it obviously lots of people would do it and a lot of people caricature the christian position right they make a straw man of the christian position where it's like oh they think you're just choosing to be gay and you know they're idiots and that's that's a caricature that's not real okay no we understand that it's not as easy as choosing not to be gay okay but the point is is that there is a sense in which we can exert will that can influence our feelings in this in this way okay and this is not just on the issue of homosexuality but on a wide variety of issues and that it's not it's not easy okay and it's not something that you can just choose to be free of it's it's very difficult and many people never become free of their sinful desires okay so this is in keeping with many many different sinful desires that people struggle with and wrestle with and some of them we get freedom some of them we don't Right, it's not just an issue of trying hard, although that can be part of a successful strategy towards transformation. All right, um, but no, it's very difficult. Okay, and Christians make the argument that you know this is this is part of who we of what we do as Christians that we're being transformed into the image of God and that we play a role in that, but that God plays an essential role as well. Meaning, it's not to tra- to really transform is not. in our ability to do by ourselves, right? I can't just make the decision to transform myself and try really hard and boom, I'm transformed, okay? No, I play a role, an essential role in the process of transformation, but God also plays an essential role and both parts have to play their role. And by the way, just because I want to change in some way doesn't mean that it's gonna happen, even if I pray every day, right? Even if I try really hard, okay? We don't control God, right? God is God, and sometimes he works miraculously. Sometimes he doesn't. There's a wide variety of reasons, I think, why that sometimes happens and why that sometimes doesn't. But, you know, that that would be a much longer podcast episode for me to explore all of those various reasons. But the point is simply that we, we're not in control of this thing. So if we're talking about, hey, if somebody's gay, can they become straight? I think, that, yeah, the, I think the answer is yes, they can. And I've heard many testimonies of people who have become straight when they were once gay. I think it happens pretty often, okay? Now, that being said, the paradigm that I have is not that you you only feel homosexual feelings and now you only feel heterosexual feelings and that it's a 100% transformation. The vast majority of transformation doesn't happen like that where it's 100% to 100%, okay? The vast majority of transformation is that, hey, I feel this sinful desire, and I feel it really strongly, and that as I, you know, walk with God and as, I, as He changes me and as I mature in different areas, I feel less and less of that temptation. It's not as strong as it once was. Okay, but there can be times where I'm still tempted with that. Even though I have great freedom in this area now, I don't struggle with it nearly as much as I used to struggle with it. I can still be tempted in that area, and sometimes I can even give into that temptation. Again, that's true. Let's take alcoholism again as an example, all right? Can you have somebody that gets 80% freedom towards alcohol, you know, addiction? And the answer is yes, of course. In fact, I would argue that that most transformation happens like that. Where it's not a hundred percent transformation, but maybe it's eighty percent. And and what I always say is that partial freedom is real freedom. Okay? Partial freedom is real freedom. All right. And so a lot of people like to disparage this idea. Oh, you're just, you know, you're just talking about people, you know, disciplining themselves and you know, but you're not really talking about transformation. But I but I am really talking about transformation, okay? Real transformation oftentimes takes time and oftentimes it's partial. And the my understanding of this is that, you know, biblically speaking, because this lifetime is so short, from God's perspective, our let's say it's a hundred year lifespan, you know, is really, really short. And so we look at it from a human perspective and we go, Oh my gosh, you know, somebody tries to be Christian, can't even change themselves, you know, in this in this one area where they're struggling, you know, see the whole thing's false. And it's like, no, it's because a person has so many different desires. Right, And they, they're changing many of those desires you know, in a certain amount of time, let's say 40, 50 years. They can change many, many of those desires and, and to a large degree. Right, But just because you have some of those desires that never see 100% transformation, that that's evidence that the whole process isn't working? No, the whole, the whole understanding of Christianity is that there, we have, we're eternal beings. And I believe we're going to be changing for eternity. Right? We're gonna be becoming more and more like him for eternity. So it's just a totally different perspective, right? And this is how a lot of people straw man the Christian position or they don't really understand it. And so because of that, they go, Oh, these people are just coping, you know, like they want to pretend that God is changing them, but they never really change. And I just want to say that's a really cynical, jaded view. I've I've changed a lot in my life. I've in many ways I've become more loving, more humble, right, more wise but am I at 100% wisdom or humility or no of course not right i'm going to be tra- i'm going to be transforming for eternity into something far more glorious than we can even imagine at this stage okay that's my paradigm of how this works all right so when we're getting back to homosexuality you know does sexuality change and the answer is clearly yes the answer is clearly yes okay i mean you have lots of people who are straight and then become gay right that's pretty widely accepted you know behavior that that happens in the gay community. They understand that you can be straight for much of your life and then develop more homosexual attraction, things like that. Of course that happens, right And of course it happened it can happen the other way. right The whole idea that it's immutable. that's all part of a narrative that is is, is part of this idea trying to equate homosexuality with race. but these are separate things. These are separate things all right? And that's why I think that the narrative has so many holes in it, that it really should be obvious, you know, to anybody who just takes a second and really thinks about any of this stuff. But this is all part of, you know, a grand narrative that is really designed in the big picture, you know, to belittle Christianity, to make it seem unreasonable, okay? And to make, you know, this, this, you know new morality more reasonable but i would argue that any christian you know should be able to see all of these holes in this narrative and you're going to have to because you're going to have to fight against it if you're going to stand for biblical truth in this generation okay so let's let's examine what does the bible actually say about homosexuality okay wherever i'm pastoring i always Take I always do seminars or something where I go in depth, I take whoever wants to in depth, what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality? And the reality is that the Bible universally condemns homosexuality. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that homosexuality is acceptable, that it's good, you know, that it's natural. There's nothing that says anything like that. Everything that it says about homosexuality condemns it and says that it's evil and that it's sinful. All right. So we're just gonna look at three passages. Okay, the first one is from Leviticus eighteen. It's a pretty famous passage because it, it's so harsh against homosexuality. Leviticus eighteen twenty two says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Okay. Now let's pause here. That term abomination, that does mean that it's a particularly bad sin. Okay? Some people, even Christians, like to teach that all sin is the same. Everybody, you know, everybody's everybody's sinful. And look, there's truth to that. Everybody is sinful. All right, but the Bible does make distinction between the severity of different types of sin. All right, and this is one of those distinctions where the Bible is not just saying it's a little sin; it's saying it's a big sin. All right, it's a big sin for a man to lie with a man, as with a woman, meaning have sex with a man. All right, that is a big sin; it's an abomination. All right, so it, the Bible is saying that this is a big deal. All right, to carry on, verse 24 says, "Do not make yourselves unclean." By any of these things. Now it's speaking here. It's speaking about the entire chapter of Leviticus 18 because it goes through a wide range of sexual sins, okay, including bestiality, including um, you know um, incest, sleeping with close relatives, okay. It it and it it has a summary at the very end where it says that for all of these sexual sins mentioned in Leviticus 18, it says, "Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things." For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people, okay? This is very important because a lot of people, again, are going to say, this is Old Testament, you know. I've I've heard this so many times, by the way. This is not a hypothetical, okay? A lot of atheists are going to make the argument, this is, those Christians, they cherry pick what they believe in the Bible, right? They're going to quote Leviticus 18.22 that homosexuality is an abomination and they're going to turn around and eat pork, right? Which is condemned in other parts of the Mosaic Law right it's because they're cherry picking cuz they're not being they're not they don't have integrity but the truth is those people saying that don't have integrity all right that's the truth okay the truth is the bible stipulates here in Leviticus 18 that this is not just for the israelites okay and this is a big problem that i have with so much criticism against christians and against the bible is they're not being honest okay I always tell other Christians, don't take advice on how to be a Christian from somebody who's not even trying to be a Christian, right? Because this is the this is the kind of stuff you're going to hear all the time from non Christians who are not even trying to be a Christian. They're going to say all those Christians are hypocrites, right? And if you want to be a real Christian, then you should love like Jesus loved, and that is it's it's such a dishonest argument because these people are not trying to really understand the Bible on their own, and if they were actually trying, they would know that that argument is garbage. Okay, it's biblical garbage. All right. When we're talking about the Mosaic Law, most of the Mosaic Law applies to Israelites living in ancient times. And in fact, there was a huge debate in the early church period, in the first century, about whether Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jewish Christians like me, and like most of the people living around us who are Christian, were all Gentile Christians. There's a huge debate on whether these Gentile Christians should have to follow the Mosaic Law. Right? And this was the first huge controversy in the early church. And it was decided in Acts 15, you can read about the council in Jerusalem that decided that Gentile Christians are not obligated to follow the Mosaic law. Okay, That's why it's okay for me to eat pork because I'm not under the law of Moses in the same way that a Jewish Christian is and a Jew was in ancient times. Okay, but the point is here in Leviticus 18, it stipulates that this law against homosexuality, this command against homosexuality is not just for Israelites, that it's not just for Jews, that it's for all nations, okay? And that's why here in Leviticus 18, it warns the Israelite people. It says, don't do any of these things, of these sexual sins mentioned here in Leviticus 18, because these sexual sins caused the foreign inhabitants of the land the gentile peoples who lived here before you it caused them to be vomited out of the land god kicked them out of the land because they practiced these sins because these sins are not just sins for you as Israelites they're sins for all nations okay and if you're a student of of the bible then you should understand that sexual sins are sins for gentiles as well as Israelites. All right. This is part of the Noahide laws, the laws, the commands given by God to Noah that are binding on all nations. Okay. So there are certain commands that God has just for the nation of Israel. All right. And those are laid out in the Mosaic law. Those God will not punish Gentiles for not keeping the law of Moses. He won't but he will punish Gentiles for not keeping the laws he gave and the commands he gave to Noah, because those were supposed to be passed down to all the Gentile people, and it includes sexual immorality, okay? Sexual commands are applicable to all nations, right? And that's why Leviticus 18 is not just, it's not just for the Israelites, it's for all people groups, and it's for everyone living today, okay? Meaning, homosexuality is an abomination for all peoples, and the people groups that practice these sins will be kicked out of their land, all right? And again, this is hard, I think, for many Christians today to understand because we don't teach today that God continues to judge nations. Or I, should, I should clarify, most churches today do not teach that God continues to judge nations, but he does all right? This is what it means when it says that God is sovereign in the Bible. It means that he rules over the nations, meaning he gives land to certain people groups, and then he removes them from their land if they sin in certain ways. Okay? He judges. He sends judgment on nations. He sometimes gives their land to other people groups. All right? This is something that God continues to do. It is part of his role as the sovereign ruler of the earth. Okay, it, and it's it's a shame that so many Christians do not get taught this because this is a core, essential teaching of the Bible that applies today. Okay, God continues to rule sovereignly over the nations, he continues to exalt righteous nations, and he continues to cast judgment on evil nations, sometimes kicking them out of their land, sometimes giving their land to other powers, to other nations, right? Um, Sometimes causing their borders to expand and sometimes causing their borders to contract. All right. God does all of these things. Okay. And this is a warning that if we as a people group practice these sexual sins, that God will give our land to another people group that is more righteous than us. Okay. That is the warning that he gives us. Okay. The land actually vomits out the people's, the way he puts it. All right second verse we're going to look at is new testament romans 1. okay it says this for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error okay so this is romans 1 where paul is describing how it is that the nations became estranged from God and were given over to their sin, okay? And what Paul basically says is that the nations did not hold on to the knowledge of God. They did not retain the knowledge of God, and they started to worship created beings. They started to commit the sin of idolatry, and because of that transgression, God gave them over to the rest of their sinful desires, all right? He let them become super sinful, all right? And one of the fruits of mature sin in a culture was this, was homosexual um, sin, all Right? What Paul is basically saying is that homosexual sin is a manifestation of a people group that is in rebellion against God, all right? it's a it, it shows up God it's a mature sin that God gives a people over to when they have rejected the knowledge of God and started to worship created things God gives them over to their sin and this is a sign homosexual sin in a culture is a sign that God has given them over all right so it is again condemned as sinful here in Romans 1 which to clarify is the New Testament all right and lastly the the last passage we're going to look at is first Corinthians chapter 6. All right, verse 9 says this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right, this is a very important passage, okay, because there are people that are going to argue today that you can be gay Christian. You can be a gay Christian. That can be your identity. And I believe this passage explicitly rejects that position, okay? This passage makes it clear, all right, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, all right? And this is speaking about those who practice these sins as opposed to stumble in these sins, Okay? Okay, all believers can stumble in sin and yet remain in right relationship with the Lord. And the way you do that is you continue to recognize that what you did is sinful, you repent of it, and you commit again to to not practicing that sin, all right? It says even if you fall into the same sin regularly, I think as, as long as you continue to regard it as sinful, and as long as you, as you regularly repent of that sin, I believe you can still be in right relationship with the Lord. Okay, but the the scriptures do, do warn us in places like Hebrews chapter 3 to be careful that your hearts do not grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, all right? And that is a temptation for us. When we start to commit the same sin over and over, our, our hearts can become hardened against that sin, and we can stop regarding it as sinful, all right? And then we can start practicing it, and scripture warns us about that, Okay. And it warns us that if we continue to practice these sins, all right, we should we should recognize that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We should not be deceived all right, into thinking that his grace is so great that we can continue to practice sin and that we will still have an inheritance in his kingdom. And he makes it clear that the people that we were before we were saved were sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, or homosexuals or thieves, okay? That's who we were. But when we are saved, when we go in Christ, that we are a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come, meaning we are no longer to regard ourselves as having that old sinful identity. That's not who we are. I'm not a sexual I, I'm not a sexually immoral person anymore. I can stumble in that sin, But that's not who I am, and that specifically refutes this idea that you can be a gay Christian because, again, being gay, that's a a sinful practice according to Scripture. So you can't identify with being gay and being a Christian any more than you can identify as being an adulterer and being a Christian, right? Saying like, oh, yeah, I'm just an adulterer Christian. Yeah, I'm living with a, a, a person who's not my spouse and sleeping with them regularly, and that's part of my identity. That's who I am. I was created that way by God, and I'm a Christian at the same time. Those, no, that, that's impossible. You cannot be an adulterer Christian, right? Either you are a Christian who regards your adultery as sinful, and though you might stumble in it, you refuse to practice it, okay? Either that's who you are, or you're an adulterer who will not inherit the kingdom of God and you are not a Christian. Okay, in fact, you know, the the scriptures are pretty clear in the about what you're to do with Christians that continue to practice sin. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, you have a man who's sleeping with his mother-in-law and Paul says you're proud of 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 this, showing grace to this person, but you should be kicking him out of your of your church. You should be refusing to fellowship and eat with him. Okay, you should hand this man over to Satan, is the way Paul puts it. All right, and that's what he says that he does. He has handed this man over to Satan. Do not even speak with this person anymore, right? And that's how we we are to treat those who continue to practice sin and yet identify as a Christian. We are to refuse to fellowship with those people, okay? So anybody who identifies as a gay Christian, we should not be fellowshipping with, okay? Now, I, I need to clarify this a little bit because there are some people that would call themselves a gay Christian because they feel homosexual feelings, but they're not actively you know, engaging in homosexual activity, all right? I think that's a different thing, all right? I think they shouldn't call themselves gay Christians, all right? Um but I think you can continue to fellowship with them. I would regard that person okay as somebody who's struggling a Christian who's struggling with homosexuality okay and that's that's fine you can be a right relationship with God and be struggling against a certain sin okay like we all are right that's that's okay all right but the point is it's you should not be identifying this way all right because the Bible does not identify you in that way. Okay, according to Scripture, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Okay, we regard no I, like I don't call anybody. Oh yeah, that's he's an adulterer, right? If I'm talking about any Christian, the, he may have committed adultery in the past, but that's not who he is. He's not an adulterer. He was washed. He was cleansed. He was sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord. That's not who he is anymore. If he's in Christ. Okay, if God has forgiven him, then I do not have the right to hold that as his identity all right and that's 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 the idea there, therefore, we're not to regard you know Christians who struggle with homosexuality as being gay, that's not their identity, all right no, they're Christians who struggle with a sin, okay all right now some people you know are gonna say no, actually, the Bible's fine with gay Christians alright and one of you know I'm just gonna there's like obviously a million arguments here if if you're struggling with any of these types of rebuttals any of these arguments to say yes you, there are gay Christians and you should be fine with that the the resource that I always recommend to people is can you be gay and Christian by Michael Brown okay that is the best single volume you know um, book that I can think of to help answer he goes into so many different arguments alright I do not have time to address all of those arguments, and I can't do it nearly as well as Michael Brown. Okay, so I would highly um, recommend that you pick up that book. Um, it's probably not even on Amazon anymore because it's it's probably arguing for conversion, so-called conversion therapy. Amazon and other, you know, bookstores have banned those types of books. Okay, um, there's got to be a way to get it, though. All right, go look for it. If you need me to, I can photocopy it for you or something like that. You know, like a, We'll send Michael Brown some money, okay? So we won't steal from him. But the point is we want to get his information out there even if he's being persecuted and being censored by all of these different companies now, all right? All right, but I am going to address a couple of these arguments, some of the major ones that I've heard again and again. Okay, number one, Jesus never condemns homosexuality, okay? This is a dishonest argument. This is a dishonest argument. Okay, because there is not a Jewish rabbi on record, okay, anywhere in history that approves of homosexuality, okay, or they all condemned homosexuality, and it would have been, you know, it would have been obvious that Jesus condemns homosexuality, okay. It is true that he does not specifically say that homosexuality is sinful. There's no, there's nothing in the New Testament that says that, okay, But Jesus was very clear that he honored the law of Moses, and he believed in the law of Moses, and he upheld the law of Moses. He's very explicit about it in Matthew chapter 5, right? Not one jot or tittle will by any means fall away from the law until all of it has been fulfilled, all right? Anyone who teaches against even the least of these commands will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven, all right? Jesus upheld the law. Now, I understand there is so much confusion on this issue because there's so many Christians who teach today that Jesus essentially abolished the law when he explicitly said that he did not, all right? And they go, well, you know, before Jesus came, you were supposed to live by the law of Moses, but Jesus came and got rid of the law, and so now none of us have to live according to the law of Moses. I think that's a really bad interpretation, but it's so popular that I understand why people are confused on this issue, okay? I do not believe that Jesus abolished any of the law, okay? Um, I would encourage people to do serious study of the law of Moses, all right? Peter has an experience in Acts chapter 10 where God makes it clear to him that he has cleansed the Gentiles as Gentiles and that Jews can continue to fellowship with Gentiles even though they don't follow the law of Moses, all right? But he did not abolish the law. I believe that Jewish Christians today are still obligated to follow the law of Moses in the areas where it is still applicable, okay? Like, I don't believe Jewish Christians today should be eating pork. I don't think it's a salvific issue, I don't think if Jews do eat pork, you know, that you know that they're, they've lost their salvation or something like that, but I do believe that Jewish believers today should not eat pork uh, because they are still under the law of Moses, okay? Gentile believers are not under the law of Moses, but the point is that Jesus did not teach against the law of Moses. There's a lot of confusion on this issue. He taught against portions of the oral tradition, all right, when it came to washing your hands before you ate when it came to you know eating picking grain on the sabbath these are not issues from the law of moses these are issues from the oral tradition you know that were passed down commentary on the law of moses and jesus broke several of those oral traditions but he did not break the law of moses okay and that's a very important distinction here because when we're talking about things like jesus never condemns homosexuality no he didn't explicitly but he didn't explicitly condemn many other sinful um, behaviors that were that were detailed by the law of Moses, but it is almost certain that he regarded these things as sinful if the law of Moses regarded them as sinful. okay That's why I think this is this is a bad argument um, that it, that is uh, filled with lots of, of bad assumptions and the problem is that there's so many Christians that share these types of assumptions that that's why that these arguments can seem very convincing to many Christians okay? Jews in Jesus' time universally condemned homosexuality, okay, including Jesus, okay? There's not one shred of evidence that says that Jesus ever approved of homosexuality, that he was okay with it. No, every bit of evidence that we have would have suggested that he would have condemned homosexuality, and Paul was very explicit, and we regard Paul's letters as being authoritative, okay? We believe that Paul's letters are authoritative, that, you know, that it's Part of Scripture, and that it there's no. It's not like Jesus disagreed with Paul. All right, if Jesus disagreed with Paul, that's a much bigger issue. And um, you know, then the Bible doesn't have authority. We're getting to an, an argument for biblical authority. Okay, that's not what we as Christians believe. Okay, so just because there's no verse where Jesus says homosexuality is sinful, all right, that doesn't mean that Jesus endorsed homosexuality, and that's not good reason for anyone to make the argument that. You know, the Bible endorses homosexuality. Okay. Now, the second argument that I hear all the time is that Paul only condemned promiscuous homosexuality, meaning he never meant to condemn monogamous homosexuality, meaning he was fine with gay marriage, right? Paul would have been fine with gay marriage, is the way the argument goes. He only wanted to condemn, you know, the culture of homosexuality where you're sleeping around with lots of different people. Okay. Again, there's nothing in the biblical text that says anything like this, okay? In fact, the text generally, when you break it down, literally, it's men who have sex with men, okay? That's what it's it's condemned. it's condemning that act, all right? And nothing in the historical record would imply the idea that Paul just meant to condemn, you know, monogamous homosexual marriage or something like that. There's nothing, this is all, you know, people making up and hoping that maybe that this is a, a loophole, you know, or something like that. But again, Paul was a Jewish rabbi in the first century, and his his views were consistent with all the other rabbis. It's not like we have another, you know, bunch of rabbis. It's not like there was a faction, you know, they were like pro-homosexuality in the first century. There's zero evidence that any Jewish rabbi thought that homosexuality, homosexuality was acceptable to God, okay? All right now let's let's go on from there. The reality is that even when we're talking about gay marriages today, ninety percent of them are promiscuous, okay? In fact, less than five percent of homosexual unions today remain monogamous over a twenty year span. okay? The, the, there's all this, you know, there's all this argument to say that the Bible's fine with, you know, monogamous gay marriage. But when we look at gay culture, it's very promiscuous. I would argue that's not because it's just coincidence. I would argue that that is the nature of that particular sin issue, right? It's a lust. It's it's in, it's intricately tied up with lust, right, such that it tends to be very promiscuous. Okay, a 1997 Australian study showed that only 13% of homosexual, homosexually active males aged 50 or, or over had had as few as 1 to 10 sex partners in their lifetime. Okay, three-quarters of those in the study, of gay, of gay men in the study, had over 20 sex partners, and half had over 100. Okay, gay culture is very promiscuous. Okay, so if you're trying to make the argument, you know, that God is fine with homosexuality, you know, just for, in the case of gay marriage, he just wants committed homosexuality, well, you should also be honest enough to recognize that very, very few, I mean, we're talking, you know, incredibly few gay marriages Um, remain monogamous okay now some would uh, then point to you know heterosexual marriages and be like oh there's lots there's lots of affairs lots of people sleeping around yeah that's true okay but there's a much higher percentage of heterosexual unions that remain true and monogamous okay all right all right now the real question if we're getting into this okay is why why does the scriptures Why do the scriptures condemn homosexuality? Okay, and this is the the real the deeper question. Okay, and this is the one that's harder to answer. Okay, it's harder to answer. So I'm going to do my best to answer this. Okay, and obviously you know this is all super controversial, but I think this is really important for Christians to understand the why. Okay, I don't think it's enough for us just to say that the Bible says so, therefore. We just have to trust it. Now, I do think that is the foundation, okay? And I'm going to talk more about that foundation in a second. But I do think the way wisdom works is that we should want to know why God gives all his commands. We should want not just to trust in his commands, but we should want to mature such that we understand his commands, right? That that's the goal for all of us, okay? So to reiterate, we do want to trust his commands. All you know, all obedience starts with trust, okay but i would argue that as we become more like god if we're pressing on towards maturity then more and more we should understand the reason why he gives us these commands okay so i'm going to give three basic answers to this okay i'm going to go in depth on all these okay number 1 all people have sinful desires number 2 i'm not completely sure and number 3 perversion okay i'm going to explain all of those things okay so first of all why does the bible condemn homosexuality First of all, we have to establish that all people have sinful desires, okay? There is this attempt today to say that Christians, you know, don't care about many sins. They just care about homosexuality, and that's because inside they're actually homophobes, right? That's because really what it is is that there's all these homophobes, and they're using, you know, the Bible, and they're using Christianity to justify their homophobia, okay? That is a bunch of garbage, all right? That's a bunch of garbage. Is that true in some cases? Of course, all right, but generally speaking, no, it's not true, okay? It's not true, all right? Look, I have been around Christians my entire life, and I'll tell you, I I've, I, don't know if I've ever met a serious homophobe in the sense that somebody was like, deeply, you know, had a deep hatred of people who were homosexual. I, I don't know if I've even ever met somebody like that, okay? I know that there are people in the church like that. I'm just saying, I, I've, I've personally never met, and I'm around Christians, all the time, okay? All right, Christianity teaches that all people are sinful and that all people wrestle with sinful desires, okay? The issue is not that some people are so, you know, evil that, you know, they don't deserve to go to heaven, all right? If you're familiar with Christian teaching at all, you know that Christians believe that all people deserve not to go to heaven. All people deserve eternal condemnation, all right? That's what Christians believe. But we believe that God is gracious to us, that if we will humble ourselves, okay, and, and if we will make him Lord of our life, we will say, God, I trust your standards of morality more than my own, and I'm going to try and live according to your standards, okay? that That is the, the condition for salvation, okay? It's not being good enough. It's about being humble and trusting him. That's what it is, okay? And that's why this issue is such a big deal because on this issue, people are unwilling to humble themselves and to trust God, but they insist that they know better than the Bible and they know better than the Christian God and they know better than Christians. And that is the issue, it's an issue of pride, okay? And so it's aptly named, the gay movement is aptly named pride because that is the core problem here, okay, it's a pride issue, all right? And as I mentioned before, Christians believe that many things are sinful that most non-Christians do not believe, such as fornication—sleeping with somebody before or outside of marriage. That's fornication. We believe that's evil and that's wrong. All right, most Christians, most non-Christians don't believe that now. All right, they believe it's fine. You know, try—you should try somebody out sexually before you marry them. Okay, all right. Christians believe that that's evil and that's wrong. But again, there's not as much—you know—there's not an issue over this because it's not a Marxist identity group. All right, and that's the core issue of what we're running into. Okay, now answer number two here why does the Bible condemn homosexuality? Is I have to be honest, I'm not completely sure. Okay, and this is I think this Christians should be honest about this. All right, I'm not completely sure. There are other sin issues that I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of why the Bible condemns it stealing, lying. I can give you. You know, a lot of, uh, I can give you a sermon or two about those issues and why they're evil, right? Why it's not just an issue where we should trust God, but why, you know, I've seen the damage that these sins inflict in my own life, and I can testify to them personally, okay? On this issue, I've I've never struggled with this, okay? I've struggled with lots of different sin issues, okay? This is not one of them, all right? I believe that there is something to say about somebody who has wrestled with a sin issue and overcome it, I think that they do tend to speak with a greater authority. So I'm speaking outside of my primary authority when I'm talking about this issue, but that's because there's so few people willing to, to talk about this issue at all, all right, that I feel compelled to talk about this one, okay? The Bible does not explain its commands oftentimes, okay? It tests our trust of it, all right? And this, this is something that we should understand as Christians. This is the foundation of trust, okay? Every command in Scripture, if you're a Christian, you start by trusting it, even though you don't fully understand why this is sinful or why this is good or why the Bible says to live like this. Like, prayer is like that, right? Why should we pray? Nobody starts with like, it makes perfect sense to me. Oh, I, I'm just going to—I love prayer. Okay, it's very rare that a Christian starts off like that, okay? Usually, prayer is one of those things that you start in discipline, okay? It's like, God— I don't really understand why I have to do this unceasingly, right? I have to pray without ceasing, pray all the time. I don't understand why you have to pray so much, but I trust you, and therefore, I'm going to practice the discipline of prayer. And then in time, you grow to understand how valuable and important it is, okay? All right, that's how it works. Trust is the foundation of Christian obedience, okay? Now, this is really difficult for many people in our generation because And here's where we have to, you know, give the devil its due in a sense, right? We have to recognize as Christians that there is such a thing as legalism, okay? Legalism is where we insist upon something because of the letter of the law, right? Because the Bible seems to say that this is wrong. And we go, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And then over time, we as the church recognize, you know what? we were probably wrong about how we were interpreting that command. <laughs> okay? Like, I don't know what a good, what's a good example? How about like women wearing head coverings? All right. It's rare that you find a church today where, you know, people are like, "Oh my gosh, you woman came here without your head covering, that is sinful. Go home, get your head covering or here's some hats that we have for women" and insist, you know, that women wear their head coverings okay? That used to be a thing, by the way. Most churches did that back in the day, all right? We have now come to a place, right, where we recognize, hey, you know, that was probably more of a cultural issue, and we don't insist upon that today. Now, we could be wrong about that, okay, to be clear, but the point is there we recognize as the church that there have been times where we've been wrong about our interpretation of certain commands in the Bible, okay? Another good one is, you know, um, the, the... Sun going around the moon, or excuse me, the the, the sun going around the earth, right? We used to think the sun went around the earth, and then, you know, people suggested that the earth went around the sun, and they were burned at the stake and all this kind of stuff, right? Or, like, the Protestant Reformation, right? Like, works aren't necessary for for salvation right that it's by faith alone okay the priesthood of all believers there's there's many positions where christians have changed their position where there's had there's been reformation of the church and where we acknowledge that the teachings that were prevalent in the church before were wrong because we had a legalistic interpretation of that passage okay we as christians recognize that that has happened in church history Okay? Now, the big problem today is that you know when you get taught history, usually the way it's taught is about how the church was wrong over and over and over and over again, and you know, it's usually presented in a way that the church has, has always been wrong, and therefore we should never trust the church and the church's teachings and stuff like that, right? Like the Crusades is a great example, okay? The Crusades, the Christians hated the Muslims, and so they declared holy war on them, and that's why the Crusades happened, Okay. Could there have been a degree of that? Yeah, it's possible. But, you know, that th- I was a history major at Berkeley. That's basically the way I learned it, you know. And then I went to seminary, and I read um, The Case for the Crusades by, um, you know, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ. I forget his name. Strobel, I think. Lee Strobel, okay. I think He wrote The Case for the Crusades. And that was the very first time in my entire life that I ever heard a legitimate argument for the Crusades and why they were a good thing that they happened. All right. And that book convinced me. Okay? Um, I did a bit more research after reading that book. But yeah, I feel like I basically understand why the Crusades happened and I'm glad that they happened. And I recognize that the way I was taught about it as a history major at Berkeley and, and all my history before talking about the Crusades it was always presented as this was just Christians being bigoted and evil and justifying their evil behavior, you know, with the Bible and stuff like this. And I recognize now that, no, that's just the way a lot of history is taught now because it has anti-Christian bias. All right. I think our, the way we teach history has a huge anti-Christian bias now. And the, what I'm getting at here is that while we as Christians recognize that there have been legalistic interpretations of the Bible and there have been atrocities committed in the name of God, by the way, I would argue that this is what, you know, the Ten Commandments it talks about, do not take the Lord's name in vain. I would argue that this, that's what this command is, do not carry the Lord's name in vain, meaning do not use the Lord's name to do something evil in his name all right, I believe that this happens, okay, this happens, and this is, legalism is one of the things as a Christian that I'm battling all the time in the church, all right, so I'm battling legalism in the church, and outside of the church, I'm battling lawlessness, okay, we recognize as Christians that legalism does happen, all right, and many are going to make the argument that, that, that the, the churches the evangelical teaching on homosexuality, that homosexuality is evil, that it's wrong, that this is one of those legalistic interpretations, okay? We have to recognize that, okay, it might be, okay? It might be, all right, meaning we should at least Try to be humble to recognize if there's any legitimate argument here. That's why I do try and listen to a lot of these rebuttal arguments. That's why I did read Can You Be Gay and Christian? And I did try and really deal with some of these arguments that are being put out there. I have not come to a place where I don't believe any of the arguments being put out there that that argue that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality, I don't believe any of those arguments have serious merit. I have not heard any good ones, honestly. And I'm open to hearing good ones. Okay? I really am open to it. But from my study of Scripture, from my perspective, the scriptures universally condemn homosexuality, and it's not even close, okay? It's not even close, in my opinion, okay? The last thing I'm going to say on this issue of not being completely sure is this. When it comes to sins like homosexuality, we're really dealing with generational-type sins, okay? Meaning, this is the type of sin that affects, is going to have widespread effect um, on a culture over the course of time, all right? For myself you know, I I don't know, I can't say for sure what the long-term effect of, of a popular homosexuality is going to be in our culture. I have some guesses, which I'm going to get into, all right? But I don't think anybody should have confidence that a particular behavior is evil or not evil if we haven't seen its effect in culture for a long period of time, okay? Homosexuality got popular about 10 years ago, something like that. We're in 2023 right now, Okay, it got popular about 10 years ago, like Barack Obama when he ran for president and like, you know, I think it was like 2008 or something like that. He was against homosexuality. That shows you. <laughs> okay? That shows you that it was not popular in the culture, okay? Until about 10 minutes ago. All right? It's been a very short time period where homosexuality has become popular, meaning we don't know what the long-term effects are. And this is what I think is is really arrogant. It's really arrogant for people to be sure that homosexuality is not sinful. like you have, like you have so many people, especially young people and they are 100% sure they know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality that's totally natural. okay let me say this these people I'm gonna say that position is idiotic. That position is idiotic, okay? because you cannot be sure. you cannot be sure you don't you haven't seen the effects that this has had on a people group over generations. And that the idea that you can have moral certain you know, certainty on something that is, is like a in-fashion sin, right? Is is so arrogant and so foolish. Alright. That's all I'll say. In humility, we should say we're not sure. Okay? I have a lot more respect for, for somebody whose who's position is, you know what? I'm not sure. We're gonna have to see. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I have a lot more respect for that position than for the person who says, "I know, 100%, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with this. It's totally natural and good. We're, it's not going to have any negative effects on society." And I know that because I'm 20 years old, and all my friends say so. God, that is the this is the the worst kind of arrogance that has become so popular in our culture today, right? It's unbelievable. Um, but that's where we are. Okay, that's where we are in our culture. All I can say is don't be intimidated by that kind of stuff, all right? As a Christian, don't be intimidated by, by the masses of people who are 100% sure in something they have no business being sure about, all right? All right, and the last thing I'm saying, why does the Bible condemn homosexuality? Well, the, the real reason is is really because it's perversion, okay? The Bible says abomination, okay? But the point is that it's, it's not a natural, healthy desire that we were created to have. It's something that has been twisted, all right? And I mentioned this you know, at the beginning of this lesson that this is true for almost all sinful desires. They're twisted natural desires, okay? So again, alcoholism, to take the example that we've been using, all right, is, is liking alcohol sinful? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay? I think you know, all things are to be enjoyed. I think alcohol is one of those things that can be enjoyed in a certain context, okay? and, and with moderation, with temperance. Okay? Alcoholism is where you develop a really unhealthy dependency on it, and then it, it creates all sorts of problems. It has all sorts of negative fruit associated with it. Okay? I would make the same argument that that that's what homosexuality looks like to me. All right? Now, numerous studies have found a higher link between sexual abuse and same-sex attraction okay? Epidemiological studies find a positive association between childhood maltreatment and same-sex sexuality in adulthood, with lesbians and gay men reporting 1.6 to 4 times greater prevalence of sexual and physical abuse than than heterosexuals, okay? And by the way, I got this data from um, a government website, okay? U.S. government website, okay? It used to be, if you said this, you know, seven years ago, right? Then people would be like, you're you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. There is zero link between, you know, homosexuality and sexual abuse. There's zero link between it. Like, that was literally the position about seven years ago, I know, because what happened was I looked up and found all these studies in in the 2000s when I was originally studying this issue, right? I found all these studies online. I read a bunch of them about this link, and then when I went back in the 2010s and tried to find those things, they were all scrubbed from the internet. They were literally scrubbed. Like you couldn't find them on the internet. Those sites that I had bookmarked, right, they were all, the studies were gone, okay? And in fact, what happened is all those, all those, you know, when you Google search it, it would all point you to one of the University of California's, I forget if it was Santa Barbara or Davis, one of those, and they would say there's, there's all evidence suggests now that there's zero link between sexual abuse and same-sex attraction. And I remember reading this in the 2010s and being like, this is, this is garbage. I read the studies. I read the studies that show that there are all these different links, right? And in the 2010s, it was like, nope, there's zero link. So saith the University of California, the ultimate authority on this garbage, right? And now they have switched back. (laughs) And now they acknowledge, well, there is a link, okay? And the way that oftentimes gets presented in academia is like, well, because... What happens is, you know, bullies and abusers can sense they have they have some type of gaydar, and they can sense when somebody's gay and then they go and abuse them or something like that. Okay, that's the way that many people now think about it. Now, to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that these studies are saying that, but when you hear people talk about it, that's a lot of times the way that they will frame it. Okay, but now it is acknowledged that there there are pretty clear links between same sex attraction and sexual abuse okay the point being people who are same-sex attracted oftentimes have had sexual abuse in their past okay lesbians and gay men reporting 1.6 to 4 times greater prevalence okay of physical and sexual abuse in that particular study again there's actually a lot of studies that show similar types of things okay In this other study, 327 homosexual and bisexual men participating in an ongoing cohort study pertaining to risk factors for HIV infection completed a survey regarding history of sexual abuse. 35.5% reported being sexually abused as children. Okay, 35.5% of the homosexual and bisexual men in this particular study out of 327. Reported sexual abuse in their backgrounds, okay? Sexual abuse does not directly cause same-sex attraction But how we respond to abuse determines the ultimate effect, okay? This is my point now, okay? Generally speaking. I'm not I'm not making the argument that if somebody is sexually abused Then they become gay. I'm not making that argument, okay? What I'm saying is that when we have traumatic experiences in our life the way that we respond to that can determine whether it becomes an ongoing Um, Issue in our lives whether it be where that starts to warp good natural desires in our lives And this is true for a wide variety of issues Okay, it's a wide variety of issues if you've had traumatic experiences like many people have okay Like I have had like many people have had you should know that the way you respond to that Really causes things to change in your life All right, and this is I think ultimately why forgiveness is so essential all right when we're talking about inner healing in the church all right it's it's so important that you forgive those who have wronged you. If you hold on to unforgiveness, if you hold on to bitterness, what starts to happen is, is really negative desires start to grow inside of your heart. Okay? And it can take on all sorts of different kinds of destructive behaviors. All right, This is one of the things that I counsel all believers in. Hey, forgive those who have wronged you. Love your enemies. Right? I'm not saying that that's easy. Again, Sometimes people strawman the Christian position. It's like, oh yeah, I just choose to forgive them, choose to love them. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. No, it's a process. It's really difficult. It's really hard. You have to wrestle through the process of forgiveness and growing to a position where you can actually love them. And it's very hard, and it and it often takes years. And it's and sometimes it, you never get 100 freedom in that area. Okay, it, I'm not trying to downplay how difficult that is, but I am trying to say that there is a clear link between trauma abusive trauma, and same-sex attraction, okay? Now what you see is that there is also a link between homosexuality and pedophilia, all right? Now this is the one, you know, again, you have people strawmanning and saying like, oh yeah, Christians, they think all homosexuals are pedophiles, okay? I don't think that, all right? I don't think that everyone who struggles with homosexuality struggles with pedophilia, but I do see a pretty clear link there, all right? Prominent queer theorists have pushed for lowering the age of consent laws, okay? This is all over in different historical contexts. This is in different countries of the world. You're, what you generally see is that the gay community is constantly pushing for lower age of consent laws. Age of consent law, by the way, is, say, like, like can a 14-year-old consent to sex, okay? Can a 13-year-old consent to sex? Again, the gay community oftentimes is pushing for those ages to be lower and lower and lower arguing that, you know, children should be able to consent or young people should be able to consent to sex and that should not be punished, okay? I think that it's because there tends to be, right, a link between pedophilia and gay culture. Okay, gay culture historically has a long history of pedestry. right, in the Roman Empire. It was very common, right, in gay communities to, to sleep with young boys, all right? I, this link seems pretty clear to me now, okay? Having, oh, it's only been, again, 15 years or something like that, 13 years since homosexuality became popular in America, and already I feel like I see that link becoming more and more obvious, all right? Like you have this push now, to uh, you know de um, stigmatize you know pedophilia like we shouldn't call it pedophilia we should call it you know minor attracted persons okay and these people don't want to feel that way you know but they do and we have to accept them as they are and you know and it's like look I'm all for loving people who struggle with sin as long as we can as long as we call it sin okay everybody's struggling with evil desires I get that Okay, I'm not saying that we should kick them out of society, you know, or kill them. I'm not saying that. Okay, but I am saying that we need to clearly label it as sinful. The idea that you are attracted to children is sinful. It's wrong. Okay, it's an unhealthy desire. And that's the big difference. Because it's to me, the issues, is we're trying to normalize the desire, we're trying to say the desire is okay, we can't punish people for the desire we can't you say the desire is evil but yes we can and we should we should clearly label that desire as evil it's an evil desire okay in Gail Rubin's um, work thinking sex in 1984 says promiscuous homosexuality sadomasochism fetishism transsexuality cross generational encounters are still viewed as unmodulated horrors incapable of involving affection love free choice kindness or transcendence Okay, like, understand what the author is doing here, okay? The author is saying that these behaviors, we used to regard them as being really evil, and that was wrong of us. We shouldn't have regarded them as being really evil, right? Promiscuous homosexuality. We used to regard that as really evil. Now, you know, we recognize that. That's okay. That's a good natural desire. Except the author throws in cross-generational encounters. <laughs> right? Like, cross, like, they're talking about pedophilia, Okay? And 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 that's the issue. There's these these attempts to like soft pedal this. These attempts to like stick these in, right? And it's and you're seeing this all over the place, right? Michel Foucault, okay, who's one of the the you know most prominent queer theorist, okay, pushed hard for the position that children can consent to sex with an adult to to lower than fifteen, all right? Numerous he, numerous allegations of sexual relationship with boys, young boys, okay? Michel Foucault, who's considered one of the, you know, major queer thinkers out there, okay? Jean-Paul Chart also pushed for lowering age of consent laws, okay? And then, what, you know, if we're just talking about these historical gay figures, I think that's concerning. But it's not, we're not just talking about ac- academia here, we're talking about modern phenomenon where there's this push to have drag queens do drag queens story hour for little kids, All right. You know, in Florida, I think Governor DeSantis said that, you know, gay pride events are, you know, not allowed to have kids there. And they canceled the event. If they couldn't have kids, they didn't want to have the event. You know, these are, you know, and, and it's widely recognized that at these gay pride parades and stuff like that, there's all sorts of nude men, there's all sorts of sexual acts being simulated or sometimes happening, right? Like, these are not events that children should be at, but there is this push in the gay community to have kids be part of that because they want to normalize homosexuality. Okay, and you know the the the, and the way this is justified is to say like, hey, we need to teach kids that homosexuality is healthy and good. Otherwise, you know the the bigots like. Me, right, like the Christians are going to indoctrinate the kids and tell them that homosexuality is evil and wrong and they're going to grow up to be homophobes. That's why we have to teach them young, right? And it's like the difference here is I don't need to teach your kids, right? Like I I teach my kids, right, and I teach the kids at my church, right, if their parents voluntarily bring them to be taught by me, okay? But the difference is I don't feel the need to go out and, you know, Make your kids know that this is wrong. And But there is this push on the left to say, hey, these conservative parents who are teaching their kids, they should not be able to do that. They should not be allowed to do that. And that's why there's this huge push to stick gay pride stuff in schools, to put it in you know elementary school textbooks, start educating them at a young age. And it's, it's specifically because there's this belief that we're indoctrinating them in a negative way and we shouldn't have the right to do that. And it's so evil, right? And they use that to justify this idea that we're going to throw this gay sexuality at kids and we're going to teach them. And I think, it's, I think it's evil. I think it's wrong. I think it's morally wrong and gross, okay? And I think it's part of this link between homosexuality and pedophilia. It seems pretty clear at this point that there's a link there, okay? So I'm just trying to make this clear. I do think all of these things are evidence of perversion, Okay. Now is it conclusive evidence? No, I can't say that. Again, I can't say that I'm 100% sure why the scriptures condemn homosexuality. These are guesses that I have, okay? And the problem is that to even guess these things has now become, you know, politically incorrect in such a way that they want to persecute you, right? Like in in Canada, they're passing laws, you know, in Canada they're passing laws that if a child you know, believes they're transgender and the parent doesn't, then the state has the right to take away their child. And that's, you know, they, they've already done that. They've already taken away children from more conservative parents for that reason. And they want to do the same thing. I believe California passed some kind of bill to try and make that the law in California, right? They want to do this. And it's it's so evil. And again, I already mentioned that they, they're banning books with gay conversion therapy, right? Books like you know, Michael Brown's book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? Because it argues for conversion therapy. It it makes the argument that, you know, gay people can turn not gay, (laughs) right? Which is obviously true, which is obviously true, okay? I'm not saying that every, you know, person who's gay can pray and snap their fingers and all of a sudden feel zero homosexual desire. Okay, again, that's a caricature, all right? But I am saying clearly, that sexuality is fluid. People's sexuality can shift and change over the course of their life. It is not static like race, right? Race is unchangeable, you can't change it. You can't pray yourself to be a different race, right? But sexuality is not like that, clearly not like that, all right? And so there is a sense where you can see sexual desire grow in certain areas and you can see it diminish in certain areas by what you feed yourself, by what you nurture yourself sexu- sexually on, right? If you feed your sexual desires, if you look at porn all the time, if you look at certain kinds of porn, then what happens is you grow hard in towards that and you want hard, more hardcore porn and all this kind of stuff happens. We see sexuality change. It shifts in the course of people. And that's obviously true. And this I, this idea that we're going to gaslight you know, Americans say like, "No, sexuality is is you know static." It's it's such a lie. It's such an obvious and gross lie. And it's it's and now they're persecuting those who would teach otherwise. And it's it's gross. It's disgusting. It is it is a type of totalitarianism, right? Where even on an academic level, when we're talking about academic books and theological books, like you can't even make that argument in these books and these and bu- these companies like Amazon are going to censor and ban your material and if you're a psychologist they're going to take away your license you know it's so gross this type of stuff okay but this is the this is the reality of where we're living today and that's why i say that every christian has to make up their mind because they're going to be pressured on this right if it's just a soft pressure like your friends like oh my gosh you're not a homophobe are you right like understand what a loaded question that is that that's not a real question that is an attempt to that's an attempt to intimidate right and to ridicule when you ask it like that that happens all the time to people okay to be clear by the definition that most people in our culture use today i am a homophobe by their definition not by my definition okay why by my definition i'm not a homophobe meaning i i feel fine People who struggle with homosexuality. Guess what? Welcome to the club. We're all struggling with sin. Okay? I have no problem having people in my church that struggle with homosexuality. Okay? People struggle with all sorts of crazy sins. Okay? That's the nature of of life, of this life. We struggle with sin. Alright? So, by my definition of homosexual of of being homophobic, no, I don't I'm not a homophobe. And I don't like I said, I don't even know any homophobes, okay? Although I'm sure there's some out there, okay? but the point is they've changed the definition of homophobe. What being a homophobe means to these people today is that if you if you think that homosexuality is evil, then you are a homophobe by that definition. It's the same way they've changed the definition of of racism, okay? Racism historically speaking meant that you, you know, hate somebody because of the color of their skin and as opposed to the content of their character, right? That's the traditional understanding of racism. And by that definition, I'm not a racist. And again, I most Christians are not racist that I've I've interacted with. All right. But they changed the definition. And now if you don't support Black Lives Matter, you're a racist, right? If you don't support you know, the the narrative of systemic racism, if you are working against that, you are a racist according to their definition. They've changed the definition of all these different things. So that's why I say when somebody says, you're not a homophobe, are you, right? You should understand this is a, an intricate knot of accusation and ridicule and slander and intimidation that's now being thrown at you, okay? And the problem is, most Christians have not been trained on how to handle the persecution that is going to come if you're if you're actually being faithful to your faith today, all right? I just tell Christians, hey, you better get ready for that day because it's going to come. And, I, and I'd lovingly say, if it's never come in your life and you've been a Christian for a long time, it's probably because you're not very outspoken about your faith, okay? It's probably because you're kind of ashamed, right? And you're trying to keep it quiet or something like that. All right? Now, uh, I'm using the word probably because I don't know. Everybody's situation is different. All right. But what I am saying is that generally speaking, if you're standing for righteousness in our culture in the way that Jesus did, in the way that every apostle did, right, then you are going to get persecuted on this issue. And that's why I try to encourage Christians, hey, get your answers down now. Figure out your convictions now, all right, so that... You can have an answer. You can be prepared to defend right your faith in God, your faith in Scripture. All of that is under attack right now. Okay, and the good news is that um, you know the good news is that uh, this is such an opportunity for us in our generation to be able to stand for righteousness and to be rewarded by the Father for it. Okay, um, but I do want to answer a couple of other questions. We're almost done with this lecture. I want to answer a couple more questions on this issue. Okay, can So can gay Christians never marry? Okay. Okay. Some people are like, that's so unfair, right? If you, if you're gay, you know, and you become a Christian, man, you can never get married. And, and this is a more nuanced answer. So I, I want to flesh this out a little bit. Okay. Christianity teaches that this life is for the testing of our faith and that's filled with trials and tribulations. Okay. All Christians are called to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Now God calls some to celibacy, some to martyrdom and, All to serious sacrifice he promises that this one lifetime of sacrifice and obedience will be rewarded many times over for eternity okay so uh, that's answer part of the answer number one okay the idea that gay Christians are called to sacrifice more than other Christians is simply not true all Christians are called to take up their cross and follow Jesus unto death okay my life is not my own I have been bought with a price I don't have the freedom, if I'm a a disciple of Jesus, I don't have the freedom to say, I want to have this job or that job. I don't have the freedom to say, hey, I want to move here or move there. I don't have the freedom, okay? My entire life is surrendered to the Lord, okay? If he says, go to China and be a missionary, I believe that I'm under obligation to obey that command. Now, can I disobey that command? Yeah, of course, right? Everybody can disobey God, Right? But the point is we're all called to obedience, to complete obedience to the Lord, and that includes major sacrifice from everyone, okay? So what I'm trying to do is trying to get away from this idea that this lifestyle being a Christian is unfair for those who struggle with same-sex attraction versus those who don't. No, no, no. It's unfair in that sense for all of us, okay? And the real one that's unfair to us is God, because he's the one that paid the price that we couldn't pay, right? He paid the price for our sins, Okay, our rightful punishment is much greater, right? Than we actually pay the price for. But he paid it for us, so that we wouldn't have to. All right, that's the understanding of Christianity. Okay, now that all being said, the idea that sexuality cannot change is simply not true. I've already gone into this a couple times, so I'm not going to beat this dead horse again. Okay, but I'm just going to lay that out. This idea that you're a gay Christian, don't stop identifying like that. Okay, you're not a gay Christian. That might have been who you were a gay person, but you have been washed, you have been cleansed, that's no longer who you are, okay? Meaning you can struggle with homosexuality, but you are not to identify yourself as a gay person, okay? That's the way the world does it. And again, I believe a lot of that influence is is really Marxist influence if we really understand where it's coming from, okay? Don't identify in that way. No, you're a Christian. And do you struggle with sin? Sure, just like we all do, okay? But that's not who you are, all right? And I should also mention, now, practically speaking, okay, I do know several Christians who struggle with homosexuality, really struggle with it, okay, it's not just a minor thing, it was a major, major struggle in their life, and who were transformed by the Lord and were able to marry, okay? And they're married um, to a person of the opposite sex, and they're happy in it. You know, and I'm sure they struggle to one degree or another with same-sex attraction still to some degree. Okay? I'm not saying that all the struggles are gone, but hey, guess what? I did. I counsel heterosexual Christians all the time that struggle with lust and all sorts of things for people who are not their spouse. Okay? So, all marriages are hard. Okay? All marriages are hard. Okay? I also know Christians who never got married, who struggle with same-sex attraction, never got married... Um, and they were never able to get major freedom in that area, okay? That happens too, okay? I'll simply say this. That might be the case, okay? That might be the case, and that's part of what it means to follow Jesus, all right? The truth is, is this life is short. I know it's hard to see right now, but according to Scripture, this life is short, and in this life, we must face trials and tribulations of all kinds, of various kinds, if we're going to follow after Jesus, All right? And the good news is that it's short, and then we are rewarded for our faithfulness forever, (laughs) okay? All right, and there's a long life after this, an eternal one. Like, the fact that the the age to come is eternal means that this portion of our life becomes infinitesimally small, (laughs) right? Like, Like, 10 billion years from now, we'll be like, hey, remember our first life on earth? And yeah, we'll so I think I think our memories will be much perfected. So I think we'll actually be able to remember it really, really well. Okay. But we'll be like, Yeah, man, I was so short. (sighs) You know, like we have to have that kind of perspective, okay? And that from that kind of perspective, all the sacrifices that God calls us to in this life are worth it. Okay? Are worth it. I'll simply say that. Okay. All right. A couple more questions and we're almost done here. All right. Are Christians actually oppressing homosexuals today? okay in short no no come on all right i think it is more true that homosexuals are oppressing christians in america today okay christians have been fired discriminated against sued for their beliefs um you know the, that guy jack um De- De- jack daniels is that his name <laughs> i think that's the whiskey right <laughs> i can't remember his name um but there's a baker in colorado this dude has been sued like four times you know like this this gay couple came into his you know, bakery, and they said, hey, I want you to make a gay wedding cake for us. He said, hey, you can buy any cake in my store, right? No problem, okay? But personally, I'm not gonna write, you know, happy gay marriage or whatever, okay, because that's against my faith, I, I can't celebrate your gay marriage, but you're welcome to buy any other, any cake in my, in my store, and you can have somebody else decorate it, you can decorate it yourself, whatever, you just can't, can, you can't compel me to write something that's against my own beliefs, all right, and they sued him, of course, because they're jerks, okay, and they're tyrannical, and he won, because thank God we have freedom of speech, you know, protected by the Constitution. Um, and then he he went on to be sued by other couples for the same thing. They're literally going after him. Uh, that is an example of persecution that is happening in America today, okay? And this type of persecution is happening all over the place. It's much more true that homosexuals are oppressing Christians than the other way around in America today, okay? That is the obvious truth, all right? Now, surely, there is some hatred for homosexuals in the world, all right? But I've seen very little in the church, okay? And again, I was trying to clarify, I know there are, there are Christians that have homophobia in the sense that, you know, they hate homosexuals and they don't love them, you know, and, and they're disgusted by them. I, I know that's true. I But in my experience, that it, I, I've never seen it. <laughs> okay? And again, I'm a real Christian. I've been part of so many different churches and ministries. All right? I've literally never seen that. Okay? So... While it's truly out there, this idea that it's, it's you know, the churches are filled with homosexual, or excuse me, homophobic Christians. Now, you have to understand, they're using their definition of homophobic, okay? They're using their definition of homophobic, which means anyone that believes that homosexuality is is sinful, is is that's their homophobia and that's homophobic. By that definition, of course. Yeah, but you're changing the definition, all right? Because you're trying to further an agenda. And because we don't support your agenda, what you're doing is you're, you're slandering us and labeling us in an evil way. Okay, th- it's so evil, right? what they're doing, okay? And that's, that's evil. When somebody says, you know, those Christians are homophobic, you should understand they're the ones being judgmental and legalistic and evil, okay? That behavior is wrong, okay? Christians should love those who identify as gay, all right? But they should refuse to endorse their sinful behavior even if it costs them. Okay, and I'll simply say, I'm going to close with this. This is the test of our generation. Jesus says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'll simply say this, you know, I think a lot of Christians, they're trying to reduce persecution in their life. And understandably so, right? Nobody likes being called a homophobe, and you know all this kind of stuff. All right. I get it. Nobody likes being fired from their job because they have a you know this type of a view. I get it. I get why people want to keep this quiet, and they don't want to rock the boat and all this kind of stuff. But I'll I'll, I'll simply say this: it is a type of cowardice. Okay. It is a type of cowardice to refuse to speak truth because you know it will offend people, okay? To be clear, I am not saying that you need to shout the most offensive parts of the Bible from the rooftops to everyone you pass by. You don't need to be needlessly offensive, okay? My rule of thumb is I don't try and correct anybody that doesn't want my correction, okay? And that's biblical, by the way, all right? Rebuke a mocker, right, and he will insult you. And Some, some proverbs say he will attack you, right? Don't give your pearls to pigs, Okay, that it's the same idea, all right? Don't try and give something of great value to somebody who can't appreciate its worth, all right? So don't try and re- bring correction or rebuke anybody that won't, that doesn't desire it, okay? But what I am saying is somebody asked me straight up, like, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin, especially as a pastor? I don't need to hide the truth. I'm not ashamed of Jesus' commands, all right? I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus is Lord, Okay? It is the truth that he is the rightful king. He's the rightful ruler of all the nations of the world, and he is to be obeyed and feared. Okay, That is the message of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. All right, It is the hope of salvation. All right. So this idea that I can hide my light under a bushel, I can hide the truth, that's what it is. Okay, I hide the truth under a bushel so that I won't be... I won't suffer for it, okay? I want to love and say that is cowardice, okay? And it is, a, it is the pandemic of the church today is cowardice, right? It is cowardice when we have pastors that go on national TV and they're asked point blank, is homosexuality sin, is abortion a sin? And they won't give a clear answer. It is cowardice, all right? We should be clear about God's standards, okay? We can say it in a loving way, But we should say it in a firm way, and we should try to help people understand why it's wrong. And frankly, it's it's a problem that, you know, so many Christians don't understand these things that I'm talking about because their churches won't talk about it, all right? I think that's a major problem. And I'll simply say that, look, a lot of Christians want to reduce the persecution in their life. I get it. I understand. But when Jesus says we're blessed when people insult us and persecute us for the sake of righteousness— I think we should try and understand that he's not exaggerating. He's being serious, okay? It could be that if I stand for truth and that gets me persecuted, that gets me fired, that gets me, you know, that makes me lose a bunch of friends in my life, that I'll be rewarded by the Lord, and that might be the greatest reward I ever get in my life from the Lord because of that act of faithfulness that cost me something, all right? I think that's true. I think many Christians, because they don't understand God's standards and and what God's going to do on the day of judgment, they don't understand his system of rewards and what life is going to be like in the age to come, they don't understand they're, they're passing up the greatest opportunities for the greatest rewards because they don't appreciate, you know, this statement that Jesus is making, that we're actually blessed if we stand for the sake of righteousness. Right? If we stand because Jesus commanded something, because Jesus taught something, and we say, I refuse to recant, I refuse to be ashamed of it, I refuse you know, to hide this truth, and I'm going to be clear about what Jesus teaches, Right, and we suffer for it, I think we'll be greatly rewarded. So that's my encouragement. I want to encourage believers. You know, this is the nature of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Right? And they hated Jesus. They hated him for the truths that he spoke that were controversial in his time period. Okay. And in the same way, this is the truth that's controversial in our time period. This is the truth that gets you persecuted. I want to lovingly encourage Christians today, don't give in to the temptation to be cowardly. Okay. Alright, amen. God bless.